John stated in this letter that we've been studying, his epistle, that are to believers. This, is not, this message is not for non-believers, this is for believers. To encourage the believers because of the challenges they were having in the early church. False teaching was starting to creep in. False prophets. All kinds of confusion started. That's how the enemy works, bringing confusion into to the relationship between a person and Jesus, the Savior of the world and who he is and what he has done. And that he can save a person based on faith and faith alone, not on works, not on position, not because of a building, not because of a church organization. It does not save a person but the love of God. And you placing your trust and making a decision, a choice of placing your trust, your life in the hands of the Savior of the world, who is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Not just a good prophet, not some just good teacher, not some religious man, but God in the flesh. Now, we studied here in chapter 4, verse 7 last time, and John stated in his letter to believers that, Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's an indication, if you're really born again, is that the, the, the love that you've received from Christ is then poured out through your life into love to love other people especially those within the faith, your brothers and sisters, the ones to the left and to the right of you. Where does this love come from, is the question. Many non-believers ask it, and even many believers who are in name only will ask, how can you love someone like that? How can you really, really love someone you don't even know? It's the love of God that bursts forth from the Holy Spirit of our hearts is how it comes out. If you have been born again, you have the Spirit of Christ that lives within you. And the Holy Spirit will come out as like the living waters. It will be fruit from your life that we call love. The fruit of the Spirit, love, will come from your life that people can pluck from your life just by being around you and watching you and seeing and experiencing doing life with you. Is that what's bearing from your life today? I truly hope so. Because it means you're maturing, you're complete in Christ. And we'll see that today. Because up to this point, the emphasis of the letter has been on Christians loving one another. But now we turn to a deeper and even more important topic today. In the letter, he emphasizes here, John, to make sure you don't miss this point. And it's a believer's love for the Father. We can get so fixated on the love of the Son. Don't forget of the love of the Father who sent His Son. The Father sent His Son for you because He loves you. He's not some mean old Father sitting up in the, above looking to strike you for opportunities to strike you. Remember before you even thought about Him, let alone loved Him, He loved you first. He first loved we cannot love our neighbor or our brother unless we love our Heavenly Father. We must understand He, the Father, first loved us. 
sending his son, Jesus, and we respond by loving God with all of our hearts. And when we do that, we can then love our neighbor as ourselves, the scripture says. God is always emphasizing it's not about learning to love yourself. We're to die of yourself. You must first love him. Why? Because he first loved you. Now here in John chapter 4 verse 17 we start off by seeing this perfecting love that John is trying to get across to the believers now and into eternity. This perfect love that can be within you as a believer. Love has been perfected among us in this, the scripture says. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. We see that love has been perfected. It's past tense. Has been perfected. It's the key word that we'll see in this section of the scripture. This word perfect or perfected here. God wants to perfect in us his love for us and the love for him. The Greek word here for perfect is teleo. Carries the idea of maturity or completeness. Someone who's growing up is maturing in their faith and maturing in their relationship and understanding of the love that God has for them. And as you grow and mature, you will then, the love will pour out from your life. Again, you are bare fruit. The fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit does not bear overnight. <laughs> as, as, as you've seen our lives sometimes it doesn't bear fruit it doesn't, just because they gave their life last week don't expect them to change overnight and then somehow the fruit's going to bear they've changed completely their sins have been wiped away they're in a new creation they're in a new position yes 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 justified like you've never sinned before yes and you're in the process of sanctification god's doing work but that work takes time to produce god's love for from their life that's why we show grace patience long suffering to why god's working in that person's life but understand, God is once you've given your life to Christ, He's looking to mature you, complete you, to sanctify you. Oh, the, when we get to the glorification state when we're in His presence, it will be complete, complete. Understand, a believer is not only to grow in grace and knowledge that we see and noted in 2 Peter 3.18, but he also is, we are also to grow in His love for the Father. We are to grow in that relationship. He does this in response. You and I do this in response to the Father's love for each other. Why? Because he first loved. And we notice here, John says that love has been perfected among us in this how? That, how are we going to see that? That we have boldness in the day of judgment. It shows the greatness of God's work in us. We will have at the time when we're in that white throne judgment where we're looked and refined and looked upon and said, okay, everything you've done for me and how you've lived your life, you're going to be rewarded as believers for those things that were done right in the right with the right heart. And everything that was not of the right heart, that will just be burned away. But you'll be rewarded for what and how you lived your life for Christ. 
Now, it's interesting. Many people live their lives when you first get saved, especially before you get saved. Of course, you have this, this a sense of, 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 we will see a sense of, of no boldness, but fear that will come when you think about going to, to dying. And you have this sense of fear that comes over, this sense of uncertainty, that certain of, uh, well, I'm bold right now because I've got everything all set and ready to go. But don't talk about after death. Let's not talk about it at all because you have no control as a controller. You don't have it all figured out. It's not part of your 10-year plan. Death is usually never in the bucket list that people set every year. Do you notice that? It's never on the bucket list. But it's reality. Because we have no guarantee for what? Tomorrow. We only have for today. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day that God has given us. Because we have no guarantee for tomorrow. There's a lot of factors. Have you ever, have you been watching the news any time at late? I don't highly encourage it, but you should be a knowledge of the wars and the rumors of wars and the things that are going on in this world right now. If you're not, you just talk to someone in fellowship to the left or the right. They probably could probably give you some insights of what's happening. But the question is, is do you have the boldness of the, the day when the called the day of judgment happens? Do you have that assurance, that confidence? The key word I think keeps coming back to me is the assurance of your relationship with God. Because when you have that assurance, when you know you're in right relationship with God, you have a boldness when it comes to the fact when the day of judgment is going to come. Because it's going to come for all of us. And so do we have that boldness that we can stand and say, I cannot wait to get into the presence of God. Do you have that this morning? Do you have that? Are you, you hear us every week say soon and very soon. For some is like, yes, perhaps today, Lord. But some of you are like, oh, no, 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 not yet. I, I don't have things in order yet. I don't, I'm not quite ready to make the shift or full commitment kind of conversations in your head. John says here that, we can, we, you want to know if you have been perfected among us? We can have this boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so are we in the world. Not only when we get to heaven, but we can have that assurance now of who he is now on this earth. Do you have it? Because when he makes this statement, it shows the greatness God's work in us and through us as, as a believer, as a child of God. We might be satisfied for some to be merely, if I can just survive the day of judgment, I'll be doing good. If I just make it to the day of judgment and in good standings, I'd be good. And that's good enough for me. Well, no, my, my brothers and sisters, no, 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 no. You got to change the way you think on that. You don't want to just make it and survive it. You want to have boldness and assurance of just joy of that moment. What hinders you from having that boldness? You. That's it. You and I, ourselves are the only reason why we will not have boldness when it comes to the day of judgment. Because as we will continue to see in the scripture, he gives us 
all the resources and the power called the Holy Spirit to have that assurance in Jesus. That's where our assurance comes from. And nowhere else. Nowhere else comes from that assurance. Because Jesus is our, is our Savior. If we will abide in him, he is in us. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 13. It's our identity is bound up in Jesus as he is, so are we in the world. Some think we go to heaven and we'll have these conversations sometimes in fellowships for brand new believers, and especially non-believers sometimes say this, but, but even young believers, and they'll say, you know, when I see God, when I get to heaven, I've got questions for him. <laughs> I, I, when I hear that, I just laugh. I, I, I chuckle a little bit because I'm talking to a very immature believer. <laughs> and not the fact that they didn't understand that. I mean, everyone, all of us has probably made those statements. I, I, I wait till I figure out. Wait, I talk to God about this. Why did this have to happen? I assure you, you will not have any questions when you get in his presence. It's kind of nonsense. But again, I, again, to show grace, because you're going to mature. You'll become complete. You'll mature in your faith, and you'll come to realize that you know you're just going to fall down on your face flat. And worship him and give him all the glory and praise and honor because you know you do not deserve to be there. The only way to have this boldness that John talks about in the day of judgment is to receive and to walk in the transforming love of God today. That's the only way you're going to have that boldness, is to be transformed by his love. See, when the completeness of God's work in us starts showing signs of growth and maturity, it will be demonstrated in your response, as we talked about earlier in the letter, about your love for another person. Not conditional love. Not love with strings attached, but the agape love that we see here in the scripture when he says love, agape, unconditional love, has been perfected in you and me. We'll have this assurance, this boldness in our relationship with God so tight that we can't wait to be in front of the law of the judgment. That means in his presence. We'll be in his presence and because as he is, so are we in the world. We are being perfected. We're being changed for that moment, for that time. And that's why he continues here in verse 18. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in this agape love that he's talking about, that he's creating in you, that comes from him and him alone. You can't perfect this. You can't create this love. It's a love that his spirit um grows in your life and it's this agape love but perfect love casts out fear because we want this agape love in our life because when love comes in and it has that boldness and it has that assurance and it's who and it's part of who you are you are and you're growing maturing this is one of the blessings and an absolute blessing and absolute guarantee will happen in your life and what is that john says perfect that mature, complete, agape love that is coming in your life and growing will cast out all fear. It will cast out the fear. 
What does that word fear mean right there? He says it right there. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It's not saying you're not saved. Remember, this letter is to believers. He's saying as a believer, if you have fear and torment and you're fearing God, you're fearing to see God, you're fearing to go to heaven, you're fearing about what God's going to do in and through your life, your fear about change in your life, or what's uncertainties of your life, all these fears and anxieties and things, all is it showing you is that you need to mature and become complete in his love. You don't fully understand the agape love of God that has been poured out to you and to me as a believer. You're just not there yet. That's why you hear me all the time. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because if you keep showing up, and as you worship him, with, and, and people will help you to worship. You've heard Mark talk about it all the time. We, we sometimes, we you can barely make it into the place. But because we hear other people worshiping, it encourages you to what? To worship God. To focus your mind upon God and not the struggles of the world. Those struggles are real. Everyone has struggles. But the question is, all through those struggles, will you trust in the love, the agape love, the unconditional love of God and allow it to bear in your life? And when that happens, it will cast out that fear. This mature completeness of love means we do not cower in fear before God, dreading his judgment either now or in the day of judgment. We know all the judgment that we should deserve to receive because of our wickedness, because of our sin. We know all of that judgment we deserve, past, present, and future, was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross and wiped away completely for us. Do you believe that, my brothers and sisters? You must. You must trust and believe in the word of God. If you're not there yet, just keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Every day, show up and as you talk to him, as you open up the word, as you get that little song in the, in the car and you're singing to him, keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Don't run. Don't cower. The enemy wants you to run. He really does. The enemy wants to convince you to walk away from the things of God, from God himself, from the people of God. That is how the enemy works. You must fight through those feelings because they do not line up with the scripture. You must keep showing up because you must believe that Jesus on the cross took care of all of your sins. 100%. You're white as snow. At this time of season, it's the only time we're going to talk about snow. <laughs> we're not going to talk about snow. We're going into spring. Amen? You may say, what about those many passages, Pastor? For those of you who study your word. 
All those scriptures in the Old and New Testaments, like it's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 1 Peter 2, 17, which tells us we should fear God. It's a different word. You need to know the word. That fear is not talking about torment that John's talking about. That fear is a different fear. It is an awe and a reverence. It's standing in awe in the presence of God. It should buckle our knees to, of the, just the, the, the brightness and the purity of who God is. There should be a reverence and awe and, and wonder and just a beautiful, great respect for our Heavenly Father of who He is because you know His character. You know who He is based on the word of God. But the fear John writes on here is not the appropriate uh, term here about awe and wonder, and that's why you should, no, no, he's talking about torment. He's literally talking about the fear of the fact that, here, and he says he can, that can be cast out if you will just let the love of God, the perfect love of God, bear in your life and to grow, and you must make a decision to allow that to happen. The reverence for God is a good thing. We see that in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is what? Is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's why we need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. That's why we study the Word of God. But this kind of fear that he's talking about that involves torment is that agonizing fear kind of fear which robs our soul of all joy and confidence before God. You don't have a joy in your life? You don't have the confidence of God in your life? Spend more time with God. Worship Him more regardless of how you feel. Study his word regardless of how you feel. Talk to him about all things regardless of how you feel. Keep getting around God's people regardless of how you feel. Because in by doing that, it will grow in your relationship with him. And by growing in your relationship with him, it will then produce a love that will cast out this tormenting fear that's in you. So the, the statement perfect perfect or perfect love cast out fear how, so how does that happen if i understand that god really really truly loves me unconditionally agape love remember that's a very key word here agape love he doesn't love you because you give to the church he doesn't love you because you come to church. He didn't love you because you actually read your Bible. He didn't love you because you were actually talking to him. He not changes his love because you're doing something for him. Those are all things that are showing of our love for him and worshiping him through those. But then it doesn't change his love if you don't do any of those. religiosity, legalism will tell you if you didn't come to church, then God is not loving you today. That is not true. You didn't give enough or you didn't do this enough or you didn't do this. Those are all legalism kinds of junk that gets into the church because that's how the enemy wants to divide and conquer and get you to rely upon the work of your hands and not walking in the Spirit. There is a difference. Once you understand that God really, truly loves you, 
unconditionally, and I can have absolute confidence that whatever happens in my life that God has allowed in my life, any given moment, it will be best for me. Regardless of what the doctor just told me. Regardless of what the, my boss is, in, is, is demanding and telling me. Regardless of what the economists and the talking heads are telling us. Regardless of who wins the next election. When you are sure of God's love for you, you do not have fear of what is happening in the things of this world. You will not. Even if it split second, ooh, the economy is going to just drop out here soon. And it might be an instant, but all of a sudden it's like, Lord, if you give us, then you take it us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is temporary. It's not my home. My home is in heaven. You'll take care of me. You promised me in the word that you'll provide me with a roof over my head, food on the table, and clothes on my back. I am a child of God. I have nothing to fear. And it casts out that fear for a moment. The answer to anxiety, the answer to fear is not to face your fears or to figure out how to solve your phobias. The answer to fear and anxiety is to become saturated in God's love for you because his perfect love will cast out all fear. Understand, when we take our minds off of God's perfect love for you and listen to any of the lies that Satan wants to throw or the world wants to throw at you. But when we take our minds off of God's perfect love, which is absolutely, undeniably demonstrated at Calvary, that's why we focus on the finished work of Calvary at the cross. Our minds will go squirrely if you take your minds off his perfect love. Our minds will go squirrely, irritable, critical, cynical, doubtful, and despair. And it will flood over you like you're drowning. My brothers and sisters, how do you solve your problem today if you're finding yourself in despair? If you're finding yourself in doubt, starting to become cynical or critical or irritable. Well, for some guys, just feed them a bar or something. Give them some food. They're probably just hangry. But I'm not really irritable. And squirrely. You must stop whatever you're doing and start worshiping God. And getting in his word to remind you that his perfect love was demonstrated for you on the cross. He forgave you. He's completely forgiven you. No strings attached. He completely loves you. So much so. That while you were so wicked and so careless and so foolish and so out in Whatever galaxy you were in your life, he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you.
No question. No doubt. If our relationship with God is marked by this tormenting fear that John is kind of touching on, all it does is show we have not been made perfect yet. Not matured yet. You're not complete yet. Keep showing up and watch him continue. Don't turn around. Don't go back to the old life. It gets worse. That's why we see the reason for our, this love, and that's in Jesus. He says in verse 19, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It's a response, is it not? We love him. John begins by declaring the heart of every true follower of Jesus Christ. Simply and boldly put, we love him. And this fact is true for every true believer. This is no exception to this rule. Spurgeon says it this way. Show me a fire without heat, then show me regeneration that does not produce love to God. Every time there's a fire, there is heat. And every time you see a believer, there is a love for God. Now, it is something that every Christian should be unafraid to proclaim. Can you boldly say, I love him? I love Jesus. Can you say that? Are you embarrassed to say it? Can you say, I love Jesus and absolutely mean it? Regardless of the environment or who it is that you're saying it to. It is so easy for many to say that in a room full of people who love Jesus. You just kind of go with the flow. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or you at least get an amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like him. Yeah, him too. It's like, same thing. You get around a bunch of guys. I love it. Makes it squirrely, doesn't it? When you start openly talking about love. It's the funniest thing. Until you mature. Until you have such solid understanding and maturity in your relationship with God, you cannot contain the words, I love Jesus. Even when you're at the work environment and people say something that is the only response you should truly give as a true response as a honest response is i love jesus if you're not there that's not condemnation no 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 no. i'm not condemning you if you're not there yet i'm just telling you it just shows where you need to mature to your confidence is so much in the savior of your life who gives you life that it doesn't matter who it is that's asking you. 
And some of us are like, have never experienced this, but you do realize my our brothers and sisters overseas, they're asked by the enemy, deny Jesus, and they say, no, I love Jesus, and their head's taken off for it. See, we haven't experienced that persecution, physical persecution. We might have done, we received that from a loss of job or loss of relationships or people stop inviting you to things. and all. We can get persecuted in my lighter affliction. But remember, it's a, it's a temporary lighter affliction. This is not our home. And my love for Jesus is far greater than any other relationship that God has given me. Yes, I love Jesus more than Kathleen. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love, my, I love Jesus more than my two girls. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Not... Now, I'm struggling with the grandbabies. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. I'm a grandfather. You know, I've, God is still working in me, too, you know. He's testing me all the time. Do you still love me more than these? <laughs> these are my grandbabies, Lord, you've given me. No. Yes, I love you, Jesus, more than my grandbabies. <laughs> I love them very much. We love him because he first loved us. In this word, you can just, I could teach on this for the next hour on this verse alone, because when you see he first loved us, it's a verse that only declares our love for Jesus. It also tells us when he loved us. Some people imagine that Jesus loves us because he knew we would love him and come to faith to him, and that is why he's loved us. That's not true. But he first loved us before that. Even before the worlds were created, when our only existence was in the mind and the heart of God, Jesus loved you. He loved us when we were still sinners. Every man that ever was saved had to come to Jesus as a lover of God by as a sinner. You were a wicked sinner and you came to Jesus Everyone. Then you believed in God's love to him as a sinner. God, I can't believe you love me as a sinner, but you, 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 you just put in my heart that, yes, you do love me. And so I surrender my life to you. He loved us when we were still sinners, yes, but we also, Jesus loved us when you lived foolishly, carelessly, when you neglected his word, when your knee would not, was unbent to prayer. He loved you when you could not have been your worse or further from him at times. He still loved you. But not only when he loved us, but notice he loved, we loved him because he first loved us. This verse tells us where our love for Jesus comes from. And it comes from him and him alone. Our love for God is always in response to his love for us first. 
He initiates the love. He respond, we respond to that love. We never have to draw or direct God to us. Never. Instead, God is drawing you to him every day. Not only does this, this, this little verse tell us when he loved us, where our love comes from, but it tells us why we love Jesus and how we can love him more. Spurgeon puts it this way. We must not try to make ourselves love our Lord, but look to Christ's love first, for his love to us will birth in us love to him. Now think of this great love to you, and then immediately your love will come to something more like that which you would desire it to be. Do you desire the love of God in your life? Do you desire God's love? That's a question for you all. Do you desire God's love? Or are you really so focused on trying to earn or get people to love you more? I challenge us all. Start with desiring for God's love for you first. And when that happens, your love for him will grow. And from that love, it will then naturally, because of the power of the Holy Spirit through you, the love will be bearing fruit from you. People, the love and that relationship with other people will solve its problems if you have that problem. What's the solution to loneliness? Start loving and desiring the love of God. He will change you. How do you solve conflicts in relationships? Start with the desire to love God. It will bear the fruit of loving others. No more conflict. No more problems in that regards. But he first loved. He first loved us. This means that it is true that he loves us now. Not when you get your life straight, not when you get all perfect, not when everything lines up and you've done all the, all the religious things. No, no, no. That's not when he starts loving you. He loves you before all of that. If you really do believe that he first loved you, sit down. And ponder the truth over your mind and say to yourself, Jesus loves me. He chose me. Jesus redeemed me. He died for me. He called me. Jesus has pardoned me. Jesus has taken me into union with himself. These things I need you to ponder on when things are difficult or when things are not difficult. Never forget that truth. Nothing in all creation, present or future, can come between you and God's love. Nothing. The perfecting of God's love in our lives is a matter of several stages. Let me give them to you for those who take notes. When we were first lost, 
We lived in fear and knew nothing of God's love. That's the first stage. All of us were there. After we trusted Christ, we found a perplexing mixture, is what I call it, very perplexing. Mixture of both fear and love in our hearts. Oh, I remember those first six months to a year getting, after getting saved. It was like a roller coaster I wanted to get off many times. God loves me. He doesn't love me. I love him. No, I don't love him. I want, the, I want him. No, I don't. I want the world. No, I want that. And it was just like, what? Squirrely. Squirrel was running everywhere in there. Keep showing up because eventually what happens is we go to the next stage. And as we grow in our fellowship with the Heavenly Father, gradually the fear vanishes and our hearts were controlled by his love alone. Many people will come and many people have testimonies. How did you get saved? I knew I was going to hell and I did not want that to happen, so I gave my life to Out of fear, you came to Christ. Hallelujah. But you'll hear the next words out of my mouth right after that, after you say it. But you won't stay based on fear. You must, you will only stay based on his love. And I'll emphasize that and emphasize and emphasize. If you're that here today, you're just fearful of going to hell. That is a real fear. But if you're a child of God, no longer that is true. You're going to heaven. Now you need to understand God's love and grow in that so that you do not live your life based on fear, but based on his love. Love will cast out all anxiety and fear. Are you with me? But if you're a non-believer this morning, there should be a fear. Because your destination right now is hell. That none of us here want that to happen for you. You don't wish that on anyone, your enemies or anybody. If you really understood what the scripture says about what hell is like, you would never wish that upon anybody. It's the depths of satanic you just can't fathom any longer because you're a child of God. That's changed. Your life's changed. But I want to let you know that a growing confidence in the presence of God in one that's first evidence is demonstrated by his love for you by sending his only son and his son, Jesus, going to the cross to die for your sins. It's that love from God that should propel you to love in response. So John says here, there's a commandment as a child of God. You're in the a child of God. You're in his family. There's a commandment by your heavenly father to you and to me that says you are now commanded to love one another. We see it right here. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He doesn't sugarcoat this thing. You're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It's so, sometimes it's often easier for someone to, to proclaim his love for God because 
inwardly, he can privately say inwardly, he says, oh yes, I have a, I have a relationship, I love God, because it's an invisible God. You can't, there's no way to demonstrate that. You can easily say that internally. But John here says boldly, and insistently boldly say, that our claim of loving God is false if we do not also love our brother and our sister, and that this love must be seen. It must be an outward display of that love. Well, me and, my, me and God, we've got this private kind of, we've got our own thing going together, and like, like it's, it's just really cool. We're just us, just us two, and that's all that. It really, who are you to judge me, brother, about what my love, my relationship with God is? And get over that. That 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 that's the self defense of the fact that you come to the realization you need to grow in your relationship with God. Because if you are growing and maturing, and you really had a good relationship with God you will see that demonstrated love that's been poured in your life come out of your life and love other people. It compels you. You cannot help but love others. But if you think you can have a relationship with God and have a love, say you love God and have no love for others, especially God's people, the, your brother and sister, don't fool yourself. You're a liar. You're lying to yourself and to others. Person may be spiritually immature, yes. Why is that person still spiritually immature? Because one lacks love. <laughs> They're not growing. They're not maturing. They're not in the word. They're not around God's people to learn about who God is and what he's done for you. You go beyond being just saved, but also understand the full character and allow that to be bearing in your fr the fruit in your life. There are many immature Christians. Yes, this person knows the word. This person will never misses a service. Always willing and can pray fervently. May even demonstrate the spiritual gifts in their life. Yet this person is just like Cain. Offering to God the fruit of his hands and not the fruit of the spirit. There is no love coming from that person's life. Or very little. So don't let us fool ourselves. I know you know the word. I know you're praying. I know you're willing to do some things here and there. But I'm saying, do you love God and is it demonstrated unconditionally to love to others? Then I'm talking to a mature Christian or a Christian. See, this is the critical measure for you and I. Jesus said the world can measure our status as disciples by the measure of what? Our love for one another. We see that in John 13, 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by what you've given or what you're doing. What you've fixed this, built this, did that, did this. No, no. By the love 
unconditional love. In verse 21, he, he, and he talks about this commandment we have from him. This commandment is not coming from the church organization. It's not coming from me as the pastor. It's not coming because it's just because your grandmother and grandfather told you so. It's not because it's something you read in some guru book that you read that says you should love other people. Or some other religious leader. God himself said in a commandment that he who loves God must love his brother also. Wrestle with that. Next time you have something go in your head that shows unloving aspect to another person. Stop yourself and say, what just came out of my mouth was not loving. You're not in right standing. What you're even made out, what you said, but what you're thinking. Ooh, you just murdered someone in your own mind. Understand, you are not right with God. And God sees all things, knows all things. He's everywhere. You can't hide. <laughs> that should bring you some fear. A healthy fear. See, being born of God and abiding in him gives us the ability to love. But it is a choice of our will to draw upon the resource and give it out to other people. So yes, you're born again. Yes, you love God. Yes, you're growing. But if you do not choose based on your will to love another person, you're in trouble. We must choose based on our will to love other people. And how do you love them even if they're unlovable? Because they're really not lovable people. And they're porcupines. Every time you come near them, they seem to, they seem to, to prick them. Prick you. Do you know sheep bite? As a shepherd, I can tell you. But because God gives you and I the resources and the Holy Spirit within us, we can still love that person. You can still have self-control with your tongue. You can still have self-control over your body. You can still have self-control in your response to the person who is very unloving. You can be just like Jesus and you go quiet. And say nothing as they beat you. God and the Holy Spirit can give you all the power and resources to deal and then to respond in a loving way. Kindness leads to repentance, the Bible says. Where can you get that kindness for someone who's showing no kindness to you? For your love for God? God, I'm going to show kindness because I love you. And you love that person too because you died on the cross for them just like you did for me. And if I show kindness, I pray it will lead them to repentance and get right with you, Lord. Because once they're right with you, guess what? Their love will be poured out and you will benefit from that love too. See how that works? John is making very clear. 
If we're born of him and abiding in him, when the resources of love are there for you and I to have and draw from, it is up to us to respond to this commandment that God has given us with with our whole will, our whole being, in obedience to the word of God. And do you know what else you find in this scripture here? Is that when he says, he who loves God must love his father also, we can learn how to love God by loving people. I don't know how to love God. Start loving his people. Ask him to show you how you can love other people. And you will then turn and learn how to love your heavenly father at the same time. One might say, I want to love God more. I want to grow in my love for him more. But how can I love God who is invisible? God says to you and I, learn to love me whom you cannot see. By loving my children, your brother, your sister, whom you can see. You want to grow in your love for God? You must do that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So don't. Don't, don't even come here. Don't even, don't even try to worship me when you have something not right with someone in your life and you're angry and bitter and unforgiving. You've got to get that right. Because I'm just going to keep bringing you right back to that situation. Until that's dealt with, you're, I'm bringing it back. Why would I even answer any of your other questions, any other prayer requests, until you get this right first? See, God is more pleased when you get it right with your brother or your sister than if you bring him a sacrifice of praise or resources. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't have to do with feelings. Do you know that? Forgiveness is a decision we make. If we decide to forgive, feelings will follow in due season. Who can choose to forgive? Only one who's living in love. You do not have the capacity to forgive unless you're living in love. Who is living in love? Ask the next question. The one who realizes that although he's a sinner, although she, though she is a sinner and a failure in many areas of their life, because God has been so good to him and to her, he has no reasonable option but to love his brother or sister. Why? Because you understand that he first loved you. If you can get that settled, my brothers and sisters, in this, as we go into Passion Week, 
We see this demonstrated clearly in our lives through the start of the ministry, yes, but the start of this moment we call Palm Sunday when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding a donkey. And let me shift here to that message and we will wrap it up with this message in communion. Bear with me here. We see Jesus' triumphal entry is recorded in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. I'm going to look at Matthew 21, 1 through 11 real quick. If you would like to turn your pages to Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethanage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. The prophet is Zechariah. We see that in Zechariah 9.9. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lonely and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him, Jesus, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut, off, cut down branches. We see in John 12, 13, they were palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those followed cried out, and we see also this was prophesied in, in Psalm 118, 26, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Palm Sunday begins the Passion Week to the celebration of Resurrection Sunday. It is the day we remember and celebrate the day Jesus entered into Jerusalem, proclaiming to be king by many, the multitude, the Prince of Peace. Many this Palm Sunday draw us to seek God. Many seek God during this religious, as we say, religious observance. We don't call it a religious observance. We call it the truth from the word of God. We understand and know the word of God. And we see and draw to God every day, all days, through all 365 days in the year. To remember our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout this week leading to Resurrection Sunday. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. We just saw what was written in Zechariah. We just read uh, prophecy was from the Psalms. We just now, we even know back to even in Genesis, we can see about the seed, that uh, Jesus would be the seed that would crush the head. On March 16th, 445 B.C., we see in the scripture a decree was granted to Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. 
And in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25, 483 years, the part of the 70 weeks prophecy, you multiply that by the 360-day Jewish calendar, it comes up to be 173,880 days from the day of decree. We see in the scriptures, and it's to that day, April 6th, 32 A.D., six days before Passover, Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, fulfilling that prophecy. Palm Sunday reminds us of the reign and the love of Christ, and it's far greater than anything you and I could fully put our heads around. Anything that a mind of man could ever conceive or plan a love greater than any man could give. Man looked for someone to fight their battles in the present day world. They were looking for someone to rise up to be king, to take on Roman emperor, the empire. We still see that today, people looking for a man to rise up to overcome the wickedness of government. Nothing new under the sun. Yet our Heavenly Father says, that's not how I work. It's not how it works. It's not, it's not the plan. It's not my plan from the beginning before I even created the heavens and the earth. My plan was to send my only begotten Son to die for the world. And it's the Heavenly Father and His ultimate plan of sending His Son to fight the final battle over death, not government. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John eleven twenty five. See, as Jesus rode on a donkey, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into the town of Jerusalem, a large crowd gathered and laid palm branches and their clothes across like he's the king. And they were worshiping him like he was king. He was coming in to take and be their king and over, finally overthrow the government. They gave him the full royal treatment as he came down from Bethany over the Mount of Olives, going down across the Kidron Valley and up into the temple. Yes, the multitude of people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they proclaimed that. But remember, we have the scripture. But remember, while this is a triumphal entry, it is Jesus' first step toward his death on the cross for you and for me six days or so later. Why? Because he first loved.